Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. It's a Tuesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, and check this out. This is awesome. Showed up on Twitter yesterday, Amber Garcia TV. Sketches of the various folks who wore number 88 for the Dallas Cowboys over the past 50 years or so. There's the guy who pushed off in the 1975 playoffs, Drew Pearson. No, he didn't. Pushed Touchdown, off. Cowboys. Yes, he did. How about pushed them off. Cowboys? Woo! <laughs> then Michael Irvin, and it moves on to Antonio Bryant. And then Des Bryant and next C.D. Lamb. You know, a, a couple that were omitted. There's Des Bryant there. A well, they didn't do Antonio omitted. Bryant. They skipped over right. Antonio. Antonio! There's C.D. Lamb. How, you know, it still astounds me, Chris, that this number 88 has taken on a very special connotation for the Cowboys. It's reserved for only the best of the best receivers. And Antonio Bryant does kind of get left out from time to time, and that's disappointing. But... Here's what's amazing. Michael Irvin's career ended in 1999 due to injury. The very next year, they issued 88 to tight end Jackie Harris, who never did Jack Diddley squat. And, and like, there was concern. Is Michael Irvin okay with C.D. Lamb wearing 88? Like, 10 guys have worn 88 since Michael Irvin, including some guy who never did anything, all due respect, the year after Irvin's career ended due to a neck injury. It's just kind of weird, this strange history of the number 88 for the Dallas Cowboys. It's never going to be retired. It's supposedly only used for the most special of players, except when it isn't. Well, y- yes. I mean, I-, I hear you, but this is one of those special players in C.D. Lamb. It does have significance to the organization. And, I mean, yeah, it's unique in the fact that you're right. They don't retire numbers there in Dallas. They don't, they don't do that. But that's all right. It doesn't matter. The Jones family takes care of their players. I mean, yeah, they might have not retired uh, Michael Irvin's number, but they put him in the ring of, you know, the, the what do they call that? The ring of honor. And then, I mean, come on. I mean, Michael Irvin, I don't know. These guys on the payroll with the Dallas Cowboys, whatever it may be, Dallas Cowboys do a great job of keeping their old players, especially the really, really relevant, great ones, involved in their organization. And uh, I I think that's a really cool thing that the Jones family does. Yeah, was there ever a time that Michael Irvin was an objective, unbiased, 
analyst on the National Football League. He's always been in the tank for the Cowboys. Of course. Although others, others aren't. I, I've never gotten the sense that Troy Aikman has a Cowboys bias based on the way he calls games. Tony Romo doesn't do enough Cowboys games to have a sufficiently large sample size. But Michael Irvin's just unabashed in his ongoing loyalty to the Cowboys, even though he has a job that is supposed to entail setting that aside, at least from time to time. He never does. And I kind of love that. Like, I do he's too. Not even, he's not pretending to be anything he isn't. He's all in with the Cowboys. And if you want to hire him for your TV network, so be it. And if you don't, don't. But either way, he's all in with the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, it's cool. He's a fanboy. I mean, from that from that aspect, and you know, the the Cowboys do a great job of taking care of him. And the fact that he wears his you know heart on the sleeve as far as his Cowboy fandom goes, you know, he's he's always in the know as far as the organization and where their thoughts are. And you know, he can lead you in the right direction that way. So I, I know it, it's funny. He's really one of the only guys out there in the business that really wears his ex team, you know, on his sleeve like that, where he really cheers for them hard. And is always rooting for every move they do. Also, is there any numbers like that in the rest of the NFL with the 88, you know, in Dallas? Like, I don't feel like that goes on in the NFL. It's kind of a college thing, right? So it's it's kind of unique to the Cowboys, which I also think is really cool. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, usually they just retire the number. They don't right. have it set aside and reserved for some sort of special player who gets it from time to time. And again, what makes it even more strange and unique to Dallas is periodically they have given it to guys who really didn't amount to anything and weren't expected to amount to anything. Well, as ex-players go, I don't know how soon Tom Brady will be wearing the loyalty to the Patriots on his sleeve because he's wearing a different colored sleeve altogether. Maybe after he's done with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he will revert to being an unabashed, unapologetic Patriots homer. But for now, he'll be joining the Buccaneers. And there was an item yesterday that caught some attention, specifically the attention of hashtag Tommy himself. Gary Myers, long-term reporter for the New York Daily News, tweeted this. Tom was worn out by Josh, Josh McDaniels, after all these years. That surprised me. Worn out by the offensive coordinator, not the head coach. And Gary Myers cites an excellent source, not to be confused with the non-excellent sources. I'm always always a little <laughs> nervous about vouching for one specific source because it implies that all my other sources stink. But at least in this case, Gary Myers' source doesn't stink. His source is excellent that Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels found that their relationship had deteriorated over the years. Now, there is one person, Chris, who would say that the source is not excellent, and that would be Tom Brady himself, who actually took an image of our story written by Michael David Smith, managing editor at PFT, based upon Gary Meyer's tweet, took a photo of that, and then did whatever it is that you can do on Instagram to write over top of it. Please stop this nonsense, Mr. Brady said. Please be more responsible with reporting 19 years together and brothers for life heart emoji at real Josh McDaniels. Chris, you work there. You've got connections there. You tell me 
what's going on? I thought that the deterioration was with the relationship with Bill Belichick, not Josh McDaniels. I was surprised by the report from Gary Man, uh, Gary Myers. So was Tom Brady. What say you? Well, what I say is, you know, one, I, I don't think these relationships are bad. And, you know, I don't know if deteriorating is the, the right way to say it either. You know, and again, you're right. I know people up there. I know a lot of people around the league that used to work there that still know the guys up there. So I do hear tidbits from New England from time to time from my friends around the league. You know, and I think the big thing to me is I, I don't think there's like an issue here where they're like, oh, Josh, you know, Tom's sitting there going, I'm never going to talk to Josh McDaniels again. And McDaniels is, oh, I'm sick of Brady. I don't want to deal with him anymore. No. But do I think the relationship was exhausted a little bit? Yeah, I do. I do. I had heard inklings of that over the last two years up there in New England, whether it was Brady and Belichick or, you know, not not necessarily that I heard McDaniels and Brady or anything along those lines. But McDaniels and Belichick are very similar people as far as the way they approach the job on a daily basis. I mean, there's a reason McDaniels has been there that long and been that successful. And even when he left, Bill takes him back. I mean, he's a little bit of a mini Bill in a lot of ways. And from Tom's angle, and we've heard a lot of this. I mean, this is the reason I don't think Tom showed up to the last two OTAs for the, in the last two years of OTAs for the New England Patriots. I think he's worn out by everything in New England. New England's brutal. It is brutal. And I think Tom Brady got to a point in his career where, you know, hey, he's going, I got enough pelts on the horse or I've done, you know, got enough, uh, you know, badges on my coat or whatever it may be to where he doesn't want to be micromanaged and looked after for every little thing he does in the world. And in New England, they just don't give a damn. They don't care if you're Tom Brady and you won 10 Super Bowls or if you're, you know, Jared Siddham and you haven't done crap yet. They really hold your feet to the fire on a daily basis. And I think that's where a lot of this talk comes from. And, you know, what you're saying makes sense for a couple of reasons. First of all, Bill Belichick isn't going to want anyone working for him who doesn't adapt and adhere to the Patriot way, which means you are going to be a lot like Bill Belichick. You are going to be withholding affection, withholding praise, being leery about possibly inflating your players' heads by puffing them up with unnecessary uh, attaboys and whatnot. So you have to be like Bill to survive. How many times have we seen guys leave New England and they're just like Belichick and it fails, including Josh McDaniels? He, sure. I mean, all these guys leave. And even when they say they're going to do it their own way, like Matt Patricia did when he left for the Lions a couple of years ago, these guys don't realize how much their DNA has been altered by extended stretches with Bill Belichick. You think right. you're being your own guy. But the baseline perspective is always Bill Belichick. You're your yes. own twist on Bill Belichick, but still at your core, you're Bill Belichick. So to the extent Tom Brady had a problem with the Patriots, had a problem with Belichick, had a problem with McDaniels, had a problem with the whole system, the whole yeah. way. And right. maybe that's really the big takeaway here. If it's going to deteriorate with Belichick, it's going to deteriorate with McDaniels. It's going to deteriorate with everyone on the coaching staff that he interacts with. Uh, agreed. And, you know, that, that's where, you know, first off, Gary Myers is not a guy that like just throws out splash BS. Right. I, and we're nor is he in the business of trying to break stories all the time. So, you know, one for him to say these type of things makes me think that somebody's led him in that direction. Right. 
But I don't think this is like, oh, Brady's and Brady and McDaniels hate each other and they're never going to talk to each other again or anything like that. No, I think this was just professional tiredom or whatever. You know, I'm making up the English language as I go here. Well, as yes, you, know. you are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but but, you know, within that to, to, to accentuate what you said, Mike. Right. You know, it does. The building is Bill. And you know that from the second you pull up in that parking lot in New England. And the second you walk through that door, now I know they've changed the facility a little bit, but when you walk through the door, you have to walk by Berge Najarian, who is Belichick's right-hand man. And that sets the tone right there because they're serious and you might walk by Bill and you know he's going to be at work and ready to go and a curmudgeon. So the whole day, the attitude of the building is always set by Bill through and through. And yes, you know, again, you can even talk to you know, when I heard about this and then I go, oh, you know, hey, Tom had some issues that he wanted more say in the offensive game plan and things like that. You know, listen, they, they'll listen to Tom up there. But again, it, this is their ship. Bill is the commander. It doesn't matter. So Josh is going to go in there and he's going to build, build an, an offensive game plan for the week. But he's already conversated with Bill about how they want to attack that team and what they want to do, which best fits their own team going forward and all those things to where, yeah, they're going to listen to Brady. But at the end of the day, Belichick and McDaniels go, we're, all, we're here in this building for like 120 hours every week. We're going to be the ones that come up with the game plan and deem what's necessary to be in there and not be in there. And, you know, I think probably Brady got sick and tired of that crap too, because he probably felt like he's earned the res or should have enough respect to add more input into the game plan on a weekly basis. And I love issues like this that become transferable to other workplaces, other dynamics. I mean, McDaniels is the guy who's caught between his boss and his favorite employee. And at some point, there will be deterioration in the relationship with the employee if the guy in the middle is choosing to cater to the guy who's responsible for his pay, his career, the possibility that he someday will succeed Bill Belichick. Look, you got to take care of your own interests at some point. And in this relationship, you got to side with the boss. You can't side with the guy who reports to you because the boss is the one who's ultimately making all the big decisions. And you aspire to be there for an indefinite period of time. And again, maybe succeed the boss at some point. So this one's a no-brainer. Whatever affection Josh McDaniels may have for Tom Brady, that doesn't mean he's going to start doing things differently just because Tom Brady is getting worn out by the Patriot way. No, no, you, because the last thing that ship is going to tolerate is a mutiny because Bill Belichick right. will throw both of them overboard in a heartbeat, Chris. No, no you're exactly right. It just, it's, it's not going to work there. You know, it's not. And it's just it's the most detailed, well-thought-out place in the NFL and, you know, again, I say this a lot, but there's a reason they've dominated the league for the last 19 years. I mean, they have a process in which they believe in, and it starts in OTAs. And again, I think that's why there's, you know, this perceived friction or maybe things just didn't end up, you know, with the better roses and everything like that. Because I think Brady's and the fact that he didn't show up in the last two OTAs, hey, that's where New England and even my experience working for Josh McDaniels in Denver in OTAs. It's where the team starts. It's where they start to go, okay, let's reevaluate our team. It's a new team this year. We have some new pieces here. How are we going to build going forward? And they take it kind of piece by piece, day by day, and they build it from there. And they're not going to variate from anything for anyone because I think, you know, they believe in their system, and that's why it's worked. 
Uh, you know, also the other thing I, I always heard Mike up there too, is just that at times there was, you know, a, a, a reluctance from Brady at times to want to add more into the offense, right? Just, hey, simplify it, protect me, get somebody open, and that's all there is to it. I've heard a lot of that kind of talk over the last two years. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it all just goes back to the same thing, that the relationship just went on for a long, long time. They had a lot of great years. They're competitive. They work hard. And I think, you know, it just fizzled out a little here, and uh, they'll kind of reconnect when their careers are over and when Tom's career is over. You know, the beauty of your shotgun approach to the English language is every once in a while you'll twist I hit it, a right? word into a word that actually is a word. Variate is a I word. Know. I had to check. Tired him is not, although it may be. I can't tell you how many times you have like spouted something out that sounds ridiculous, and then we go and look it up, and it's like, holy crap, it's it's actually a word. Also, I we got to be careful apparently about using the word crap. One of our friends in the UK told me yesterday that, uh, and, and I haven't researched this yet, but for now, let's, crap means let's, crap on any continent. All right, I don't know well, what let, they're trying just, to let's say. Have a, let's have a temporary moratorium on using the word crap until we can confirm that it isn't as bad as the S blank blank T word in the UK and in Ireland, because that could get us into some deep crap if we're not careful. So let's just press pause <laughs> on that for now. All right. So uh, look, I, I, I think, I think we've kind of harmonized all this. Then the bottom line is Tom Brady was sick of the Patriot way. And I don't know that sick, sick of may be too strong. Tom Brady had had enough of it. He just had enough. He had reached his sure. lifetime limit of dealing right. with it. And, and you know what? One of the realities of getting older, and those of you out there who are fortunate enough to be old like me, you will realize as to certain people, as to certain things, as to certain foods, as to certain TV shows, as to certain anything, you will reach a point where you have decided, that's it. I've had enough for my entire life. I'm good. I don't need to deal with this person anymore. I don't need to go to this restaurant anymore. I don't need to go to this place anymore. I don't need to watch this show anymore. I'm good. I have reached my lifetime limit. Best example for me, fireworks shows. I don't need to go to another fireworks show. I've seen them all. I know what it looks like. I know what it sounds like. It no longer does anything for me. I've seen it too many times, Chris. That's kind of what Tom Brady has reached with the Patriots. He has reached his lifetime limit of dealing with that system and that organization. You like yeah, that? Yeah, listen, I, I do. I understand that. You know, I was going to use peanut butter and jelly for my example because that, you know, I went through. <laughs> I, mom, mom packed me peanut butter and jelly every day for lunch for like nine years in a row. And I got to high school and I was like, man, I can't look at peanut butter and jelly ever again the rest of my life. I've been eating it every day. And I had to take like a six-year hiatus from it. Now it's back to being delicious again. So uh, I do understand it. And, it, and again, with with these alpha-type males, as competitive as they are, as driven as they are, the stress you're, stress you're under as an OC, a head coach, a quarterback, all those things, hey, I think it's completely natural after this long of a relationship to have it fizzle out or just be worn out and want something new a little bit. And I think that's really all we're hearing here in New England. Well, but hey, thank you, Tom Brady. Thank you, Josh McDaniels. Ultimately, thank you, Gary Myers, for giving us something to lead the show with because it's a little more challenging this time of year than it is during actual football season. The Major League Baseball season apparently is coming. What does that mean for the NFL? We're going to discuss that next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. 
Sam Darnold had mono last year. He's not concerned about getting COVID-19 this year. He said on Monday, I trust the authorities to do their due diligence and make sure we're safe coming back. As long as we're allowed to be in the facility and be practicing and be playing games, I'm not going to be worried about it. And look, that doesn't mean he's not concerned about getting it. We all should be concerned about getting it because it's got this random quality where it ravages some people and it doesn't ravage others. And yes, health factors and age are a key, but there are young, healthy people who are suffering from it too. The point is, once you get the clearance to enter the facility, at that point, you shouldn't worry about it. If they have the right measures to make sure that you don't get in unless you test negative and I've also said you don't get out unless you test negative as well so that the general public doesn't have to worry about what you may have caught at the facility. You just go about your job. You go about your work. And, Chris, you've said it time and again, football players aren't going to care about this. They are dealing with far more immediate physical risks than what happens if they end up with the coronavirus in their body. They're dealing with broken bones, ligament sprains, concussions, neck injuries, potential emergency splenectomies, and I'm not trying to be funny about that. There's a risk of something far more immediate than whatever the coronavirus could do to you. And so on the list of things football players should worry about, this should be fairly far down the list. Well, this is where, you know, we haven't really delved down this, this you know, wormhole a whole lot yet as far as where are players at and their thoughts of this COVID-19 process. I mean, you're right, Mike. First off, hey, these are modern-day gladiators. I think a lot of them don't care. I think a lot of them think I'm young, I'm healthy. You know, I'll listen to the COVID-19 measures and be protective because they love and have people around them they want to protect. But, you know, hey, yeah, I mean, I think between that and then you have a short shelf life in the NFL. You know, here you got guys sitting here. This, these are legacy-changing moments. You know, I keep sitting here thinking about, like, LeBron James. He's on his, you know – on trying to win his fourth championship and chase Michael Jordan and do all those things, man, his legacy could be forever changed because of COVID-19. And, you know, these players, I think it's the same thing. You know, you think about the average years you have in the NFL and how long you can play. You know, I just, I would like at some point, Mike, don't you think we have to get a gauge for where the players are at? Like I, I, I heard some major league baseball players talking about this last night. Yeah, we could talk about all these scenarios and everything, but at some point, do they need to take a vote from the players to go, hey, how many of us are comfortable with, you know, certain guidelines or certain things if they're not covered all the way? You're not getting tested every day and on the way out and on the way in. That's why I have a union. Easy answer. That's why I have a union. The union does it for you, and they've reached an agreement to – come back and play baseball with an 82-game season. So that's a no-brainer. And that's why the NFL Players Association, Chris, is going to be so critical to what the NFL ultimately does. And the one thing the NFLPA has, it's the ultimate hammer that rarely gets mentioned anywhere but here. And I'm I'm careful saying that because we, we, you know, oh, oh, nobody's talking about it. But literally no one is talking about this. If there's no football season this year, the way the NFL CBA is written, the players are entitled to full pay, which is one of the reasons why the NFL is determined to play this year. But as they negotiate with the Players Association, the terms with which the NFL would exist in 2020 – the NFLPA has to agree to any major changes to the work rules, and the NFLPA can just sit back and say, sorry, we don't like that. No, we don't like this. No, we have this concern. No, we have that concern. But that's how the voice of the individual player is going to resonate in this process through 
his union. The MLBPA has already done it, and they're going to come back reportedly in July. And the NFLPA at some point is going to have a major seat at the table, Chris, to figure out what NFL players should and shouldn't be expected to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, I just feel like we, we need to hear from the masses of players at some point, you know, and again, and I know you're right, the NFLPA is going to take care of all that and, and the, the union reps and all that will be there to, to talk for the players. But Mike, I guess, you know, the big thing to me, you know, do we know, because I don't know this and I know you're smarter than me in this area, especially like are, are, if there's no season, I mean, you, you don't think the owners are going to be able to wiggle out from not paying the players? You know, that's where Chris, I do that. Chris, yeah. uh, they'll try. I, oh, they'll try. They'll try. But the CBA is what it is. And how many times do we have people, and they know who they are, people in the media, that the moment there's anything that goes against the players, they puff out their chests and say, well, that's what you get for negotiating a CBA that has this term and that term and this term and that term. Well, I'm a great point, looking Mike. forward to those people who are ready to crap, sorry, UK, on the NFLPA, every time there's a bad outcome under the CBA, there's an arbitration ruling that they don't like, when it's time to say, well, hey, NFL, all you had to do was put a force majeure clause in your CBA with sufficient specificity like the NBA has. The NBA right. has its players over a barrel, Chris, thanks to the force majeure clause. The only protection right. the NFL has is if games are actually canceled this year, there's an obligation by the union to engage in good faith negotiations about what the salary cap will be next year. There is nothing in there. And the mere fact that they've, they've contemplated canceled games and the impact on next year's salary cap, it tells you that, hey, they could have put something in about the current year in any given year of the CBA. So, that, you know, they'll try. There's too much money at stake for them yeah, not that's to what try to say. some right. frivolous argument and take it to somebody and hope that you get a favorable judge who will ignore the plain language of the CBA. That happens all the time in many contexts with contracts and legal principles. You just hope that you get a judge that wants to rule for you and will find a way to do it. That is a reality of the legal system. But when I look at the CBA, when I look at the individual player contracts, I'm not seeing anything in there that protects the NFL against having to pay the players in full if there's no season in 2020. Well, that's, that's yeah, so that, that's really interesting to me. I mean, yes, I would think that, the of course, the owners try to wiggle out of that in some capacity if there's no games played and nothing done. And this is where I wanted to go with this, Mike, because this is the question I wanted to pose to you. You know, does, does, do the owners hurt their case even more if there's, let's just say, week one and week two are played, and then all of a sudden we hear like four or five guys in the NFL, right? They got COVID-19, and now, okay, we got to take a three- or four-week hiatus and not play. Now that's where I would go if I'm the owners. I would think, ooh, they'd have to be worried that, hey, the season started. Guys have played games. Guys are going to go, I want my guaranteed money. I don't care. You guys canceled the season. I didn't. I'm here, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I just was wondering if that made them more liable that way, but you kind of answered my question where it sounds well, no, like they're no, going to no, be no, liable regardless. Okay, okay. Let me, uh, let, me, let me tell you this, and I'll be yeah. as quick as I can because we have to take a break soon. When it first came up about the NBA possibly not paying players based upon the language of their CBA, and I looked up the CBA and I found the provision, the force majeure clause, fancy term for saying basically stuff happens. And sometimes right. stuff happens that isn't our responsibility. Crap happens. And we, Crap happens. We don't have to, exactly. And we don't have to pay you. So I, I, I went straight to the NFL's CBA to look for something, and I searched it 20 different ways with 20 different terms, and there's nothing in there. 
And I, I bounced off a high-level source with one of the teams, this idea that, hey, you know what, if there's no season, you're going to have to pay all your guys. And, and this person told me that, that the, the argument will be if there's no games at all, the players don't get paid. If there's only one game, the players do get paid in full. Now, right. I have no basis. I have no reason. There's nothing that I see in the CBA that would support that. But again, nothing stops them from going out and hiring high-priced lawyers and saying, this is the argument we want you to make. Happens all the time, especially when the people writing the checks are incredibly rich. But, you know, you've touched on this. The way the schedule is constructed, damn the torpedoes for week one. Right. We are going forward. What if it ultimately ends up being only week one? Well, maybe they got to pay them in full. But th- this is why, Chris, I keep coming back to no matter what form it takes, no matter where they go, and there are reports already of teams doing training camp in other states. Look, teams will play games in other states if they have to. They're going to get these 256 games in. Even if they do have to go to Area 51, even if they do have to take all the teams to Florida, even if they have to find an island somewhere, they are getting these games in because, number one, they want the TV money, and number two, they have to pay their players one way or the other, and I think deep down they know it. All right, let's take a break. We'll be talking about these issues uh, plenty in the coming weeks as we get to the point where we know or at least think we know what the NFL season is going to look like. We're going to take a break when we return. Linebacker C.J. Mosley says the Jets would be crazy to trade safety Jamal Adams. What are the chances that they will trade him anyway? We'll talk about that next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. All right, after the draft last year, there were several players who were traded. Plenty of activity as the season approached. The Texans were involved in all but one of the trades you see on that screen, that rash of trades just before the season began as the Texans shed Jadavian Clowney but then turned around and brought in Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills. So trades can still happen. Throughout the offseason, even though the draft has come and gone, you can use draft picks next year. And, oh, by the way, Chris, before we get to this, 
Pete Demolitis, our producer. I guess I got him sufficiently concerned about whether we should be saying crap on UK TV. He found a list from 2016 of every British swear word officially ranked in order of offensiveness. And according to this list, crap is regarding as mild, a mild swear word. And there are other words on this list that I look at and say, I didn't even know a word like cow would even be regarded as a swear word anywhere in the world. But, uh, you know, I, I've got this this dilemma right now. I've got the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder and the devil saying, read some of these words, but I'm, I, I prefer to remain employed. So the, the, uh, the angel wins again. Damn it. Angel always trying to interrupt my my fun all right well, uh, i'm some just of those glad swear okay words. at least we could say crap and we're good we haven't hurt ourselves already uh, in this show it's so mild that's good to know it's mild yeah mild yeah. all right i'm not uh, worried about mild there, there, there may be some moderate to severe swear words from jets fans uh in the uk if jamal adams would be traded that's the guy we're going to start with let's do it on a scale of one to ten one being no way in hell it happens 10 it definitely happens likelihood of a trade of jamal adams before week one of the 2020 season chris what would your guess be i i'm i'm gonna put it pretty low i'm gonna say like in the i'm gonna say two i i do i i think jamal adams has weathered the storm there or you know the jets have weathered jamal adams storm of just realizing this is a volatile personality and a guy that, yeah, he speaks out a little bit, but it's not like you're like, oh man, Jamal Adams is just so dysfunctional and ruining this football team. What a, what a cancer he is in the locker room. No, it's not to that point. These are, these are, these are problems we've heard from Jamal Adams because of wanting to win, wanting commitment from the jets. And I think that's all there is to it. He's the best safety in football. And I would be shocked if they traded away. I, I would argue their best player on their football team. There is a point though, where you have to wonder if they just have had enough. Yeah. Of Jamal right. Adams. I know. And look, I love Jamal Adams. He's fiery. He's passionate, but sometimes that fire and that passion gets directed back at the jets. He's frustrated. The team isn't as good relative to him as his college team LSU was. And right. he gets impatient at times. He wants to win. He wants to be part of a winner. It's that Michael Jordan mentality that everyone is now celebrating, right? You want to elevate the guys around you. Well, the guys around you can only be elevated so much because they're not as good as some of the other players in the NFL. And the fact that the Jets started 1-7 and seven last year is proof of that. So I, here's the thing. All it takes is that one day, right, the Jets can yep. say every day we're not inclined to trade him. We're not going to trade him. No, 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 no. One day, one moment, one one instant where it all lines up and they get an offer and they say, you know what, let's let's move on from this headache. And that happens. I'm going to go four. I'll go four. Okay. Uh, I still think it's unlikely, but but right. there is that that chance that he says something at the wrong time. You know, that he puts himself on the radar screen at the wrong moment and in or the right moment for him. And in hindsight, we say, well, that's how it all fell together. The Jets were susceptible. They decided to do it. They got the offer and they moved on. So I'll go four on that one. All right, let's move on to Yannick Ngakwe, a guy that we thought would be traded before the draft. He has the franchise tag in Jacksonville. He has been agitating for a trade. He got into a Twitter fight with Tony Khan, the son of team owner Shad Khan. No trade happened before or during or to this point after the 2020 draft, scale of one to 10, what do we think will happen with Ngakwe in Jacksonville, Chris? Trade or no well, trade? Well, I, I, I'm going to put it at an eight. I'm not going to give it a 10, 
You know, honestly, I don't think what Yannick Ngakwe did on social media by attacking the Khan family and doing that helped his cause. If anything, it might make the Jack- Jacksonville and, and ownership, you know, drive a stake in the ground and go, nah, we're definitely not going to trade you unless we're blown out of the water. And, oh, fine, if you just want to sit here and not get paid this year or whatever it may be, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. I am expecting them to find a trade partner, but it, a lot of that depends on – how hard of a you know how hard of a bargain is Jacksonville trying to to you know drive here as far as what they're asking for for Yannick Ngakwe? So I'm not going to say ten because it definitely happens. Uh, I think there's a few issues here, but I'm going to say at eight that it most likely happens at some point here before week one. I'm going to put it right in the middle at five. I'm going to be non-committal because I do okay. think that the Jaguars do not want to create an environment where you can talk or tweet your way out. Get of your town. way out, yeah. Look, Right. They only traded Jalen Ramsey when the the Rams offered two first round picks and a fourth round pick. They were not going to trade him. How do you not take two two uh, two ones and a four from the Rams for Ra- uh, for Ramsey? And look at what Ramsey's done. It's vindicated the move. I mean, they stole two first round picks and a fourth round pick from the Rams for Jalen Ramsey. They don't even have him signed to a new contract yet, and he's entering his option year. So they, they don't want to make it too easy for guys to get out. And I think that they know that with Ngakwe, there'll be some huffing and some puffing, but he's not going to blow anyone's house down. If it's time to show up and play and get paid a lot of money, that one-year franchise tender is going to pay him a lot of money he will do it if he has to, and he's not going to be a problem in the locker room for the Jaguars. He's not going to be a problem for the coaching staff. So I think that they continue to kind of sit back, fold their arms, and expect something that forces them to say yes, or they're just going to keep Ngakwe for one more year. And then after that, Ngakwe moves on. I think the problem is because we saw D. Ford and Frank Clark last year get tagged and traded as pass rushers. We just assumed from the moment that the Jaguars tagged Yannick Ngakwe they were going to do the same thing. And just because he really wants to be traded, it doesn't mean they're going to do it. And uh, that's why I'm at five. I really do think that they're going to – it's it forces a team to make them an offer that they really like. Sure. Otherwise, they will right. just deal with it. They're not going to take whatever the best offer is when Labor Day weekend rolls around. Yeah, well, it make, that makes sense. You know, I, I probably went a little high on that, you know, uh, my eight there. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, certainly. And, you know, after I got done talking about it and you kind of let off your statement with it, the first thing that hit me was, man, Jacksonville better be worried that they don't look like they're the team when a player wants out. Oh, okay, no problem. Hey, we'll work it out. We'll get you out of there. No, that's not a good look for a franchise at all. So you're right. They got to be careful there uh, about, you know, what they do and how they handle the situation. I still think ultimately they're going to try to get it done. But you're right. They're not going to do it just to get them out of there and not have to deal with them. It's going to have to be for the right price. I remember Mike Tomlin once characterized his Steelers team as an army of volunteers, and we want guys who want to be here. And and it it is dangerous to to have that attitude because very easily you create that door. You don't want to be here? Fine, you're not going right. to be here. Well, certain players, they want there, even if they don't want to be there. But part of it is creating the culture where guys want to be there, and more often than not, far more often than not, players want to be in Pittsburgh. Let's move on to Leonard Fournette quickly here. They had tried to trade him. Dave Caldwell, the GM of the Jaguars, told me last week, I think it was the weeks, the days, the hours, the minutes are all blending together, that they're going to go forward with Leonard Fournette at this point. What is your guess, 1 to 10, the likelihood of Fournette being traded? 
Uh, I'm going to say two. I think it's very low at this point. I think that, you know, the door is closed on trying to trade Leonard Fournette. You know, the draft is over. Teams have addressed running back needs. You know, also, I look at Jacksonville and go, hey, I don't know if they have a proven commodity on the roster at the position either. So, you know, you've paid a lot of money to Leonard Fournette already at this point. Why not just ride it out for this one more year? But I, I just can't imagine them getting anything worthwhile at this point, unless something unforeseen happened. Running back goes down in training camp, something like that. And Jacksonville gets to evaluate some of the backups behind Fournette and goes, okay, we're comfortable with going with some of these guys. Let's make it happen. But, you know, I think the chances of that happening are very little. That's why I make it two. I'm going to go a little higher because I don't think it's unforeseen that a running back gets hurt. It's more likely than not that one of the 32 starting running backs somewhere is going to get injured in training camp. We see that all the time. And if there is that season-ending ACL, and I'm not going to name names, I think the Jaguars look at the situation. They avoid $4 million plus in salary that is owed to Leonard Fournette, fully guaranteed with no offset. And, uh, and, and they question whether or not he's going to fit the Jay Gruden offense and they take what they can get and move on. I think, I think for that reason, I'm going to put him at a five as well. And it depends wow. on things that happen elsewhere. It's going to be uh, else. It's good. It's got to, somebody's got to break that leg, tear that ACL, rupture the Achilles tendon. And that's when I think the phone's going to ring. I think he's going to be at the top of the list for any team. And I, again, I'm resisting naming names, but you all can think of the names. There's not a long list of names that if this guy goes down, they better do something, and Leonard Fournette is going to be that something that they can easily do. We got some other names that we don't have time to get to. Maybe we finish this up uh, another day as we're looking to fill the shows as the – During I'm, a I'm so, 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 so slow time. It. I'm avoiding it. I didn't say it. You said it. When we return, something Steve Smith had to say about the receivers with one of his former teams, the Baltimore Ravens. More Pro Football Talk Live right after I have so much respect for Steve Smith. He, in my rookie year, okay, he breaks the huddle in Carolina. Uh, and, of course, I'm with Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They break the huddle. They're good, Carolina. We're having, like, a post-Super Bowl hangover. And we're, he breaks the huddle. He's running towards our sideline. And as he's running over to the sideline, he starts to line up and gets the position, and he looks at Gruden. He goes, hey, Gru, watch me ah! your defense up. And then he kept, got, a, like, a 20-yard completion. Got the ball, spun it on the ground, and looked at Gruden, and I was like, man, he is the man right there. <laughs> so I loved him from that point on. That's Chris Sims in a prior edition of Unbuttoned talking about Steve Smith, who turns 41 today. And uh, look, gritty and tough. Remember when he came over to the set in Atlanta and he lifted me off the ground? He said, <laughs> yes. he, he, you know, he made that snarl. He said, I've been waiting to do that a long time. And thank God all he did was lift me off the ground. I think he, I think he wanted to do a lot more than that. No, he's he's uh, a great personality. And, yeah, he's feisty and fiery, as you know. And I'm sure he's filed away a few little, you know, uh, copy-paste, copy-paste snarky comments that you've written about him over the years. God, but man. God, God forbid God forbid we covered all the occasions where he sucker-punched a teammate. Shame on us. Yeah, all right. Just relax. We're having fun right now. Don't get mad, right. okay? I'm just, Jeez, I'm all just, right. I, he's got no cause to be upset with some of the things he did and was called out for. Chris, how many teammates he wasn't have upset. He came over although, and gave you a rough hug, although, a good hug. Although... Although after hearing about Michael Jordan sucker punching Steve Kerr, maybe he's onto something. Maybe he is. Well, I'll tell you what he is onto. I do believe this. Steve Smith, I do think, caused a trend in the NFL. And I will say, between being, 
you know, ultra competitive and just talking crap or whatever. But I think where he had created a little niche for him, and I'm not sure if Steve Smith makes the Hall of Fame, but he's an NFL legend regardless, is he started to me the run of wide receivers that are built like running backs or running backs that play wide receiver. That's really what he was built like. And when he first, when I first saw him in person, I was like, oh, this guy's small, man. He's got a great pair of legs. Look at his legs. Look at his butt. Whoa, he's powerful. Man, he's a receiver. Uh, and he was really one of the first of his kind that way to, to be that size, but be that strong and have the speed and could break tackles and all that. Um, legend in my mind. Happy birthday, Steve Smith. Next time you see Florio, grab him harder, rough him up more. You know what he did the first time he touched the ball in the NFL 2001 as a rookie? You know what he did? Touchdown. Return to kickoff for a touchdown against the Minnesota Vikings. Week one of the 2001 season, the Panthers won that game with Chris Wenke at quarterback, and the Panthers would go on to lose the next 15 games that season. But at least oh, for geez. that day in yeah. Minnesota – Steve Smith returned the opening kickoff of the game for a touchdown, and the Panthers emerged with the victory. He added, uh, or he said yesterday, that that one of his former places to play, the Baltimore Ravens, it's a tough place to be a receiver. Said Smith, I'm a wide receiver, and my question is always going to be, how is this passing game going to develop? I hate to say it this way, but as a wide receiver, I love to block, but I didn't wake up trying to block and run 70 plays a game and 68 of the 70 or run plays because – then when the contract season comes up, you have leverage because my numbers aren't up. And, you know, there's something to be said there. You want to have the, the statistics if you are a pass catcher. Nobody is paying run-blocking wide receivers. They want guys who can produce in the passing game. And if your offense isn't conducive to production, you have a problem. Remember last year when they were devising this Lamar Jackson run-based offense, how difficult it was for the Ravens to find free agents. They had to draft Marquise Brown and the guy from Notre Dame. Help me out. Who the guy they drafted Miles Boykin. last year? Miles, Miles Boykin. Boykin. And right. then they had to go back and they, they, they had to draft receivers again this year. You're not going to get guys to choose to sign on when they have options because they understand that the statistics aren't going to be the same. They're not going to – we know every receiver wants to run routes and catch passes right. and score touchdowns. That's what they want to do. You're getting them to go against their nature as part of this Ravens offense to a certain extent, Chris. Yeah, you definitely are. I mean, it's going to be hard to be a receiver in this Baltimore Ravens offense and then, you know, put forth a, a resume of Hall, of Hall of Fame material as far as catches and touchdowns and everything like that. Yeah, it could be hard. Now, do, we, we saw a big drastic improvement in their pass game last year, and I think that will continue. We've heard Lamar Jackson this offseason talk about he doesn't think he'll be running as much this year as he was last year. No, we I heard mean, that he last can't. year, though, too. We heard that I last know. year. It's but at some point, it's going to have to calm down a little bit. You know, it just it's playing with fire. He's going to get worn out. I don't know if you can continue to do that. But it's a very real aspect Steve Smith brings up. You know, hey, the Baltimore Ravens ran the ball almost 100 times more than the next team in football, which was the 49ers. You know, so, yes, I, I think you kind of hit on it, Mike. When it comes to the Ravens with the wide receiver position, hey, offensive linemen, you know, defensive front seven, anybody on defense is going to want to come to Baltimore. Tight ends and running backs are going to want to come to Baltimore. Receivers are one, is one spot that they're going to go, man, it looks cool, and I'd love to play Lamar Jackson, and they win games, and it's fun. But, damn, I might get done with the year and only have, like, three catches a game. And that's where I think to what you said, it's going to have to be through the draft. And I think you'll continue to see that. 
them draft one or two receivers every year because they know they're not going to get big-time free agents to come there and, and want to play for that offense. But, you know, as defenses continue to come up with ways to slow down that run-based offense, maybe it does open up opportunities to throw right. the ball. Lamar Jackson develops as a passer. The game slows down more. He gets a better understanding of the pre-snap looks. The, the natural progression of a quarterback, the more you step up to the line of scrimmage, the more you survey the defense, the more you process what you see before the snap, what you see at the snap, how the players move, where the openings are going to be, the patterns that develop, that that uh, that does create opportunities for a great passing offense. But, but, you know, here's the thing, and I think it was Kyle Shanahan that explained this last year, and I'm clearly paraphrasing here because I haven't thought of this in months, but basically – you know, you, you you can't simulate Lamar Jackson. You can't no. plan for Lamar Jackson. What Whatever you think is going to work goes out the window because ultimately you have to go catch him. And at this yeah. point in the NFL, he's the hardest guy for any defensive player to track down, even when you know what he's going to do, Chris. Well, he, he is. It, it's, it's just like when I was playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and we had to play the Atlanta Falcons and Michael Vick. You know, it just it didn't matter. Yeah. I could I could maybe throw like Michael Vick, but I couldn't run like him. And then, you know, you would get a receiver or a DB in there to run like Michael Vick, but then they couldn't throw worth a damn in practice or whatever it may be. You can't prepare yourself to play a guy like Amar Jackson because he's in the conversation for one of the quickest people in football in space and really one of the faster straight-ahead speed uh, people as far as a ball carrier is concerned too. But, you know, hey, let's not forget – Lamar Jackson threw for 36 touchdown passes last year and led the NFL. So while the yards might not be all that great for receivers and things like that, you certainly could have a chance to have a lot of easy touchdowns and have that bolster your stat package to where you can ask for big time money uh, when it does come for a free agent contract or something like that. Tight end is the key. Mark Andrews had 98 targets last year for the right. Ravens. Marquise Brown was the top receiver with 71 targets. That was 60th among all NFL receivers. But still, as this offense grows and develops, as Lamar Jackson grows and develops, there could be more opportunities in the passing game. And some of these rookies who are growing and developing may not have to leave via free agency. They may get paid right where they are. We have more PFT Live coming at you right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.